Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Welcome, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode number 44 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I am here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being here. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. You can go on to the website at www.mtb-tribe.com, and you can search for past episodes there, uh, listen to them just straight from the website, or you can download them via iTunes or Stitcher or download them onto your own PC. It is entirely up to yourself. And if you are listening via iTunes, I would really appreciate a follow and a review there. Please, five stars is always nice to receive. It's beautiful. Um, So if you can do that, that would be awesome. Share with friends is also great. So word of mouth is how the show best gets recognized and gets the word out and helps me just know that I am reaching more people and hopefully making their day better and making them smile on the way to work or out on the trail and that difficult climb, whatever it may be, as long as it's making people's lives better, I am happy with that. And you can also follow us on socials. We are at MTB Tribe on Instagram and MTB Tribe on Facebook. So please go there, get involved. If you want to know a wee bit more about the show, you can subscribe via the website and I will send you out one email a week mainly. There will be we update emails now and then, just letting you know what's happening. And there will be a few of them in the near future. I'm working on a couple of things at the minute, so just keep your eyes and ears peeled for that via the email and via the podcast obviously so that's great and for all the listeners out there that are returning every week i really appreciate you guys here the listener numbers are going up and i really thank you for that so thanks for being dedicated listeners i really really do appreciate it so let's get on to today's show in episode number 44 we are chatting to professional xc racer tom bell Now, Tom is well known in the XC circuit for constantly being on top of the podium. Tom is a super cool guy, and I am super stoked to get him on the podcast. Now, there's actually a funny story here, because before I started the MTB Tribe podcast, I used to listen to a podcast called Mountain Bikes Apart, which has sadly since ended. Now, you may be aware of that, or you may not, but the podcast was hosted by two guys, one of which was Tom. Now, I love Tom's input on that podcast about his training and his racing and traveling on the road, etc. But it didn't actually dawn on me that that was Tom until he mentioned it, just as we were chatting on our correspondence via email, that he was the co-host on Mountain Bikes Apart. So, needless to say, I am very, very happy to get Tom on the show. Um, So, we chat to Tom today about his racing career. We chat to him about being the current MTB Marathon National Champion, his coaching business, racing, and representing Great Britain in the UCI MTB Marathon World Championships, plus much, much more about how you can best race XC. So let's get into it. Let's get Tom on the show. It's a really interesting episode. So let's welcome Tom Bell to the MTB Tribe Podcast. 
Hi Tom, how you doing? Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. It's awesome to have you on the show, bro. How's things with you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be good to be talking to you. Yeah, cool. And it's funny when we get chatting on email, um, you were telling me that you actually used to be involved with the Mountain Bikes Apart podcast, which I was a keen listener of, believe oh, it or not. <laughs> um, that was an awesome show. So that doesn't run anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I kind of got a bit too busy um, to uh, myself and Colin were working together. Colin sort of handled um, all of the, uh, I guess, back end side of things. So he uh, he's very experienced with um, with his main business, which is the podcast host, where you know they they uh, host podcasts for businesses, help businesses start podcasts and that kind of thing. And I would handle kind of the um, I guess kind of content ideas and then putting together the, the sort of show notes after the, after the, um, after we'd actually done the recording and that kind of thing. And, uh, just with my, uh, the athletic side, so my racing and traveling as well as the, um, uh, sort of coaching business that I have, uh, as well, it just kind of got a bit too much, uh, a bit, uh, too much to kind of focus on. So we, we might well pick it up um at some point in the future um but uh, for now yeah it's just on kind of a, a bit of a hiatus i would say yeah cool because i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed the insights into your race and what you were doing and stuff it was it was a wee bit different from anything else that was out there at the time so so it was good oh i'm glad to hear it yeah we got we got some good we definitely got some good feedback and um it was nice to see kind of a regular listenership uh, a regular sort of listener numbers every time so mm-hmm. uh, it, it was great and um I'll, I'll probably be back in touch with colin fairly soon and um see see how he's doing and uh, and like i say i don't think uh, I, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that we'll at some point uh, have another show uh, up at some point yeah yeah cool cool well let's get into what you're doing then you're a professional xc racer you compete in the international XC MTB circuit, um, mm-hmm. racing the UCI and the World Cup events. Um, but you've done loads more. You've been a British University's XC champion. Um, you're the current British mountain bike marathon national champion. Is that right? Uh, that's correct, yeah. Wow. Okay. And you've also represented Great Britain at the marathon world championships too? Uh, yeah, I, only once actually, and I didn't end up finishing that race. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I had a, I had a fairly um, a fairly big crash on the road bike about a week and a half before I went out to France for that race. And um, as as much as I got the recovery kind of ninety five percent there, uh, by about midway through the um, through the race, I just had a lot of back problems and, and stuff. So unfortunately, it was a DNF in that race, but. Um, I'm uh, looking looking to um, be representing the country this year, hopefully in both marathon and cross country. With the um, the European cross country champs being held on uh, the Glasgow course, so the one that they used um, for the Commonwealth Games the time before the last one. So mm-hmm. just wait to hear. See, just waiting to hear basically if I've uh, if I've made that um, that Great Britain team. Right, cool. And we'll get into that a wee bit later. We'll chat about that and how that came about and things and, and how you can get involved and something like that, um, if that's cool. But mm. you're you're super busy because you train on a, you train on a full-time basis, basically. You write, you, you have your YouTube channels, and 
you've also got your coaching business, which we'll chat about later, because I know that's a, a big focus for you at the minute. You write on a, a blog, on training tips, etc., etc. So you're a very, very busy man. How do you find all the time? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it can be it can be a bit of a struggle. Certainly, um, as I mentioned before, kind of traveling usually puts a bit of a spanner in the works because I always I always sort of think that I've got more time than I have. So I'll, I think oh, okay, I'll do I'll do an hour of work when I'm sat in the airport, or I'll uh, once we get to the accommodation, I'll I'll knuckle down and get stuff done. But you know, it, it never ends up being anything like the amount of time that you think you have. So um, it, it's I suppose it's. Um, Try, trying to be as sort of productive as possible and uh, st- scheduling out, you know, blocks of time to do certain things and just trying to stay focused on one task at a time. But mm-hmm. definitely gets a bit much sometimes. But it's all it's all stuff that I really, really enjoy. And um, that's what I've tried to do, tried to create sort of like a bit of an income around things that I that I'm naturally would kind of do anyway. So that, that helps make things a bit easier. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Now... If you don't mind, I'm going to ask you some icebreaker questions just to let the listeners get to know you a wee bit quicker. And then if there's anything really interesting there, we'll circle back and get more in-depth into it. Are you cool with that? Yeah, sounds great. Right, we'll start off off with an easy one. Where are you from? Uh, So I'm from Yorkshire um, in England. Uh, I was born and kind of raised around Homefirth, which is where they film Last of the Summer Wine, if anyone's seen that programme um that's usually where people <laughs> know that know that area um and i live just outside of the yorkshire dales now so um just kind of outside uh, just on the border of leeds and bradford okay cool and what are you most passionate about right now regarding mountain biking i mean i obviously i'm quite biased with the uh, cross country side of things but it's it's been really nice to see the growth of that in the last uh, in the last few years. I'm I'm really passionate about kind of the the direction that that's going with Mercedes Benz coming on, you know, big big mm-hmm. title sponsor coming on board for the World Cup and um, more and more media coverage and coming into the coming into the sport and a lot a lot of big names and some you know the 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 cross country tracks are becoming um, much more. Uh, technically focused and much more exciting the red bull are doing an excellent job of, of covering it so I, th- I suppose that's where my uh, what i'm really passionate about and and looking forward to kind of seeing where that goes in the next next few years yeah it seems to be going in the right direction anyway i think so yeah yeah what bike or bikes are you riding at the moment so I ride, um, I've got a, a hardtail race bike and a full suspension race bike. Both, both of those are Canyon bikes. So the, the Lux, Lux model is the full suspension and the Exceed CF um, is the hardtail that I run. Cool. And what is your favorite piece of riding kit? Oh, good question. Um, I would say probably my Oakleys. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I find the lenses great. Obviously, there's I've got multiple sort of choice of lenses, but they all seem to do a really good job and fit. They fit really nicely. They're kind of purpose designed for 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 the sport, and um, I've had quite a number of pairs over the years. So I'd probably say if I if I didn't put too much thought, I, I could probably come up with. Um, Lots of things. A power meter would be another one, um, just with me being kind of focused on training and that kind of thing. But yeah, f- first thing that comes to mind, probably the Oakleys. 
Cool. Okay. And what piece of kit would you most like to have? That's a good question. Um, I would say some of the more expensive, I haven't really ever sort of paid thousands and thousands of pounds for the um, super expensive power meters. So the, the SRMs and, and that kind of thing. Um, so it'd be good to, good to try, to try out those. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that I've got, I've accumulated most of the, um, um, most of the kind of accessories and, and gear that I would want over the years. Um, I've just got a new Wahoo element computer, which, uh, having been a long time Garmin user is quite interesting. Mm. I've just acquired that, but, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe try one of the high end, high end power meters, or I'd like to try the SRAM, SRAM XX, um, Eagle group set as well. I've been on Shimano basically, mm-hmm. um, all of my racing career. So I'd like to try that as well. Yeah, cool, cool. And last question, last icebreaker question. What's on your MTB bucket list? Oh, um, I would like to do. I have been to Canada um, in the in the past uh, when I wasn't doing when I was a lot younger. I was just kind of doing mountain biking for fun, and we we did go up to Whistler, um, and I did uh, hide a bike and kind of went down some of the downhill trails there. I was probably a bit younger and a bit intimidated at the time. So I think um, going back to both the US and Canada to to do some of the, do some of the riding, maybe around Colorado and then uh, into the, um, you know, Whistler area again, that kind of thing would be, would be on my bucket list. Yeah. It looks absolutely amazing around that, around that area. Unreal. Okay. So let's get into what's happening now with you. And uh, so what have you been up to over the last few months? Yeah, so um, I've essentially been doing what I usually do, which is uh, training, coaching, and racing. Um, had some good good races both in in the UK and abroad recently. Um, most recent one, I just got back from Hungary, so a race just outside of Budapest, um, which was good. Um, so I got, I think I got ninth there after not feeling super great in the race, but. Had some close racing kind of um, in the UK National Series as well. So we went up to Glen Tress that was around there, which was great. Um, and then we had one down near sort of Cambridge kind of area as well. It was the last one. Um, so so lots of lots of traveling, flights, um, as well as some, some good training as well. Yeah. And would you visit all the UCA events, would you, Tom? Or? The, the World Cup events? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've only done one so far this year, which was um, Alpstadt in Germany. Um, I'm not going to be at uh, Val de Sol this weekend, uh, just because it ended up just being a bit of a logistical, uh, a logistical nightmare, kind of getting all the way down to London Gatwick, and it's it's not much fun dragging two sort of bike bags through uh, <laughs> Gatwick at full at full tilt. So. Um, so I just opted to do Andorra. So Val Nord, I'll be in, I'll be in Val Nord next weekend, um, for the, the next, uh, world cup, but I'm not, I've not, I've just done, just done one this, this season. Um, and I hope to get to La Bresse as well, which is the final round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how are you feeling generally this season? Yeah. I, I mean, I've had w- with, uh, trying to have focus in lots of different areas. So, you know, growing the YouTube channel and the coaching business and stuff, sometimes uh, that sort of focus has been quite difficult. And sometimes you get more motivated about one thing rather than another. Um, and, but, but 
results-wise, it's probably been up to now my strongest season. Um, I've had uh, some good results, plenty, you know, plenty of sort of top tens and uh, and some top fives abroad in some of the bigger UCI races um, that are not World Cups, just just UCI races that, mm-hmm. except for the World Cups. Um, and so yeah, everything's going well so far this season. I'm I'm now coming into the period, the the most um, important period of the season really, where there's the Marathon National Championships, the Cross Country National Championships, and the European Championships that I mentioned before. Mm, cool. And tell us a wee bit about the XC scene. What what is that like? Yeah, it's um, overall it's it's really friendly. It's um, it, there's a, a good bunch of people that are both driven to improve their performance, but also kind of having fun at the same time. Um, as I said, the courses are getting more, uh, they're adding more things like jumps and different drops and nice technical features. So it is definitely becoming more fun. Um, and it's obviously once the, once the racing gets going, everyone's pretty serious and trying to get a good result. But, um, otherwise it's a, it's a really friendly atmosphere, um, with, uh, every, everyone kind of knowing each other. It is, I suppose, like a little family. Um, and you kind of see that um, both at the sort of uh, international level at World Cups as well as the uh, national series in the UK as well as the little regional series that uh, that are dotted around England and and um, and the UK overall. Yeah, and do you feel that, you know, seeing it over the years, Tom, do you feel it's growing or is it in the decline? Yeah, I think there was definitely um, a bit of a concern maybe two or three years ago that it was starting to decline a little bit. Um, but I think with um, some like GMBN starting to cover it a lot more and as I said, there's quite a few more sort of personalities coming through in the sport. I think it's now starting to grow again. And as I mentioned, you know, Mercedes-Benz coming on board as the World Cup title sponsor and and that kind of thing. I would say there's definitely a lot of room to grow in terms of bringing in more sort of outside commercial sponsorship, which can help get more eyeballs on the sport and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. um, I think the way that the courses are going in terms of making them more compact, more spectacular, both from a point of view of actually being trackside and also like the coverage that Red Bull do and that kind of thing, I definitely think all that sort of stuff's going in the right direction. Yeah, certainly. And um like you seem to have a real passion for it. So why did you choose XC, say, over Enduro or, you know, Downhill or something like that? Yeah. Um, so when when I was at kind of high school and, and that kind of thing, I would I would just be sort of riding with my friends and that kind of thing. We'd just do it for fun. Um, and uh, whenever I would sort of do, you know, cross-country running or there'd be any sort of running sports, i.e. the ones that really kind of show who's got the, the bigger aerobic system or, uh, um, that, you know, talent in that kind of area. I was always kind of out front, you know, without trying too hard. So I, I kind of knew early on that I probably had um, like a, a decent sort of VO2 max or I was fairly sort of um, genetically or uh, I suppose I was predisposed to to being good at kind of endurance kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of blended that idea with the fact that I really enjoyed mountain biking. And I suppose also I was maybe a bit, uh scared with uh with downhill of getting hurt too much so i thought okay well i can get i I can get some i can do some downhill and a few little technical things in a cross-country race but without the big risk of um you know really taking myself out so 
I suppose all those things kind of triangulated to it. It suited me quite well. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, cross country to me just looks very painful in another way, not maybe popping a shoulder or doing something like that. But from an endurance side of things, um, it does look very difficult with you doing kind of all of them a little in your past, would you say cross country is definitely the most challenging? Yeah, it's it's definitely a very it's it's definitely a very um, hard sport from that perspective. I mean, you essentially go flat out right from the start, and if you were to look at a, a heart rate file or something like that from a from a race, you'll see that the kind of heart rate goes up and never really comes down um, for the entire entire thing um and yeah it's uh it's a it's a different as you said it's a different kind of pain it's a different kind of um thing to something like downhill but um i think that's that's always something that as i said being a bit more endurance focused has always kind of appealed to me a bit more so mm-hmm. yeah it's but it's certainly it's certainly um plenty of suffering for an hour and a half <laughs> whatever it is <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would say so. So I'm interested in the UCI and the World Cup events. What are they like as far as kind of organised and professionalism goes? They're, I mean, they're really, obviously, it's the, other than maybe the Olympics and um, World Championships, they are the the, mo- the biggest races um, in the world. And they are generally really, really well organised. Um, sometimes, sometimes, I suppose, there's a bit of a I, I found a little a bit of a lack of information for riders so it's they have really tight um time slots for kind of signing on and picking up numbers and that kind of thing and sometimes it's not the easiest to uh, to find in a big town where the race has been held where you actually go to 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 pick that number up and that kind of thing um so so i guess there's a few little um organizational um improvements that could be made uh, overall but in in terms of them being a, a big spectacle and and that kind of thing, it's great. You know, you've got tens of thousands of people mostly at, at each one of these events, and as a as a racer, it's it's great to it's great to race in front of a crowd like that. Yeah, and do, and do the organisers look after the racers? Yeah, I mean, I would say so. Um, they tend to be tend to be relatively friendly when you are. Uh, when you turn up to sign on and that kind of thing um for me as more of a kind of privateer i, I don't really have too much of an insight into how uh, you know the bigger teams are looked after and that kind of thing um so uh, but i would imagine that i would imagine they look after them um f- fairly well um and that kind of thing i mean the, the if we're talking about something like prize money um then it's I would say it's definitely behind maybe what it should be um, with it being such a difficult sport and the, the, the riders essentially being some of the fittest athletes in the world. Um, I don't think the prize money, even for, you know, a top five finish in a world cup is that great. Um, so maybe from that perspective, there is some room for improvement again, but, um, but yeah, my, my experiences generally at these races has been, has been positive. Cool. All right, cool. Now, I want to chat to you a wee bit as well about the British Marathon National Championships. Yeah. Because you've raced XC and you race marathon races as such. So what's the difference in those two? 
Yeah, so essentially the the marathon, so cross-country is typically XCO, so cross-country Olympic, and then you've got XCM, which is cross-country marathon. And it's essentially a a longer distance, longer duration version of the cross-country. Key differences are obviously the duration. So a cross-country race is typically maybe an hour and a half, hour 45, um, and a marathon race is usually somewhere in the region of three to six hours. Um, and the marathon is a usually a single loop um, as opposed to cross country, which might be between six and eight laps of a of a shorter course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how did you fall into the marathon scene then? Um, I mean, if I if I'm honest, uh, I haven't I haven't actually done any marathon racing this year. Um, right. I've been completely focused on cross country, really. Um, which is a bit of a shame, but um, just with, you know, budgets and again, logistics and uh, the time that I've got, I just wanted Mm -hmm. to uh, focus on cross country more than marathon. Um, So I've done in the past, I've done a few of the, you know, marathon world series races. And then obviously the, the marathon national champs last year. I mean, they're quite closely related. Quite a lot of people cross over and do uh, both cross country and marathon. So I suppose it's just, uh, something that most racers kind of give a try at some point so that that was the same story for me really and the the marathon national championships was that the was that the manx 100 last year yeah so they um incorporated the national championships into the manx 100 so there was a uh, 100 kilometer event which um was the essentially the, the national championship and then there was a 100 mile event as well um so they, they just incorporate they just incorporate it into the uh into the existing event i suppose yeah and you won that last year yeah uh <laughs> yeah it was uh i think it was you know five just just under five and a half hours of racing which is a lot longer than i typically train for never mind race so it was a, uh-huh. a d- different experience for sure yeah and Take us through that. What was it like to race for a hundred miles? Yeah, well, well, this one was actually a hundred kilometers, so it was. Uh, okay. it, it, but but yeah, so I think it. I think it actually ended up being over that. So I think we were looking at probably 60, um, 60 65 miles um, of racing, and the Isle of Man is obviously notoriously um, pretty hilly. Um, so there was quite quite a lot of big, long, sustained climbs um, as well as descents. So it, uh, like I said, it was about, I think it was about five, five hours, 15, something like, something around that for the finish time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously when you're going that distance, you just, you, no one can really go too flat out from the start and sort of maintain that. So I suppose for, for a majority of the race, it's it's somewhat comfortable. Um, you're obviously trying to go as, as fast as you can for the actual distance you're racing. So I, I guess you're kind of on your on your limit the whole the whole time for whatever distance you're racing but um i suppose it it more ramped up in the in the latter half so we um you have a fair amount of time to settle into it and once you're in a group and racing along it's a bit different than if you're just out riding by yourself so the the time tends to go feel like feels like it's going uh, a bit faster than usual And what's the, what would be the main thing to overcome in a race like that? Is it 
is it sticking to your plan of action or is it just staying within your capabilities? What what way would you approach something like that? Yeah, I think it's all of those factors really. It's um, obviously the longer the the longer the race, you know, you more more your kind of nutrition strategy and being on top of making sure you're fueled is uh, is pretty important. So you have to. Uh, it's it's quite difficult sometimes when when you kick off racing to then immediately start sort of drinking and take it on food. But it's again, like you said, it's something you have to kind of. Uh, have a plan for and try and stick to the plan and then that applies as well to pacing so the race might be going too fast for you at the start and you do have to i suppose um check your ego at the door and just uh, stick to the plan that that you've got and stick to what you know is within your capabilities um Mm -hmm. you'll see in those kind of races a lot of people will start off just way too fast and just slowly fade as the race goes on and kind of hang on for for grim death at the end which is, uh, which is never fun i've been i've been there before and it's that's when that's when the time really does start uh you know feeling like it's a long uh, the, the race starts feeling like it's a really long way yeah um, so you, you just have to be i suppose honest with yourself and and know what what you can do and if if you can win the race with with the capabilities you have then then great but if you can't, it's it's almost better not to try because um, you typically get a better finish position if you if you speed up as you go through the race rather than try to make up as much time as possible initially and then hang on kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, certainly, yeah. And, and the Manx One Hundred that's organised by Nigel Morris. Yeah. Um, who was actually the gentleman who asked me to get you on the podcast? Oh, cool. <laughs> So he wants to. He's got some questions for you, so you're not getting off that lightly. <laughs> um, but I want to know is what is the atmosphere like at, at that event, and how much work does Nigel and his crew kind of put into organising that event? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it's a. I'm sure it's a massive organisational undertaking. It's um, it's a great atmosphere because it's it's um, the the main kind of base for the race is at the uh, Isle of Man TT Stadium and the podium that's used is the podium from the uh, from the TT. So there's there's a good buzz from that, I suppose. Um, and the islands are really, you know, it's obviously a really nice island. And and Nigel's obviously got a very long, so he's got the 100k and the 100 mile, you know, routes to to plan and to to mark and marshal. So it's, um, I'm sure it's a, I'm sure he'll tell you about it, but I, I, I'm in no doubt that it's a, um, a big undertaking. Yeah. And he's got a few questions for you, if you don't mind, I'll ask. Um, so he's probably figuring out how he can make it better for the riders. So this is why he's won these answers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's asked, is a single lap event more marathon than multiple shorter laps? Yeah, I mean, as I said before, that that's typically one of the defining features. I would say um, I, I'm not necessarily saying that's the that's the best approach. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that uh, an event that had multiple laps would would be great as well. Um, that's just typically, I suppose, that's typically how it's been done. But that's not necessarily the uh, a reason to to carry on that format. Um, so. I, I think one big lap certainly makes it feel like a longer way. You typically, you know, you'll go further from where you started um, at the midpoint of the of the lap. Um, 
but having said that I haven't really done I don't think I've done many marathons where it's been multiple kind of laps so maybe two or three laps so that would be an interesting maybe probably an interesting development do you feel when it's when it's a single lap like that he's asked was it was the event an adventure as well as a race yeah absolutely I mean um as I said the island is really um it is really scenic and you obviously with a big lap that that spans quite a lot of the island you just end up seeing more of it and you you go to places that uh, feel quite remote and and that kind of thing so it's there's certainly an adventure aspect to it um i maybe had my head down a little bit with the you know r- racing full on you don't tend to uh to, to be looking around as much so i'm sure if i did I mean, the day before the race, I did do some sort of um, scoping of some of the course. So I did mm-hmm. ride ride around on my own at a kind of leisurely pace. And I, I suppose I took in more more of the surroundings then. But it's um, there's definitely an adventure aspect to it. Um, and especially with marathons abroad as well. You know, you might have marathons in the mountains, the Alps and uh, Dolomites and places like that. So um, it's, yeah, I would say there's definitely an adventure aspect to marathon racing. Yeah, and and how did you find the logistics of getting to the island? Uh, I didn't find it too bad actually. I mean, we're not too where I am, especially is uh, it's maybe an hour and a half, two hour drive to Liverpool to the docks. So we just got the got the ferry across there. Obviously, the the ferry is is fairly expensive um, for for some people, for most people maybe. Um, and and then you just I suppose you've got to find accommodation on it. It's, it's almost like a sort of international race, but you taking a ferry rather than a, a flight or whatever so mm-hmm. um i didn't find it i didn't find it too much of a problem it's not a particularly long ferry ride um and then uh, the island's quite small on the other side so it's quite easy to get around obviously with a ferry you can take your own car and that kind of thing so you're not having to hire anything um and you can get get across on as a foot passenger as well you know just with your bike mm-hmm. um so I, I personally from my point of view i didn't find it um, obviously it's, it's harder logistically than just going to somewhere on, uh, mainland UK, but, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge problem from my point of view. Yeah. Cool. And, and what did you think was the best thing or the worst thing about the event? I thought the best thing was coming back to probably Nigel's organization. I think it was, um, it was really, um, it, it, yeah, we were made to feel welcome. The, the course was great. It had some as I said, some really big, long, sustained climbs and descents. Um, uh, took in some some roads as well as some really technical sort of tracks and stuff. So the, the track was great. Um, there was definitely a, a, a bit of sort of controversy around the gates um, mm. in the event. So some of the farmers' gates being kind of shut, um, and how that might have affected the race. Personally, I don't think in terms of uh, rider to rider it it made much difference at all um it was obviously a bit a, a bit of a um a bit of an issue to try and have to stop all the time and put your bikes over and that kind of thing but part of that was the nature of the island and you know you, you are crossing field after field and that's where a lot of the tracks go so um it's it was just something that we I suppose immediately recognized as a as an issue and then you adjust your kind of tactics to that so you know i.e if there's um, a load of gates coming up it probably doesn't make sense to 
go hell for leather on a descent, you know, being able to see that there's see that there's um, a number of closed gates ahead and that kind of thing. So you, I, I personally kind of adjusted on the fly for for that for that um, for that fact. Um, but I know there was a little bit of, like I said, con- controversy around that. Yeah. So I suppose moving to this year, are you going to compete in it this year? Yeah, I will be. I'll be going back to um, to defend the jersey. Yeah. Cool. So I suppose for the gate issue, it may not be easy, but just to maybe have them marshaled or something like that. Yeah, I think so. Just just putting some people on them because obviously it's not ideal for the farmers to have the gates open all the time, yeah. especially if there's you know livestock in there and stuff. Mm. So, um, and and yeah, I mean up to the kind of closing parts i don't think it's too much of a problem because you've got bigger groups together um and you can just it takes everyone the same amount of time to put a bike over a gate so it's not like anyone's really getting an advantage on anyone else um so yeah i think it would just be a case of putting a few if if possible putting a few more marshals on those Mm -hmm. on those gates at more of the sort of critical parts of the actual race yeah, cool. Well, I'm sure Nigel will get it sorted. He seems to be well on top of things there. So, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's touch. I want to get into your coaching stuff, um, but I want to touch a wee bit just before that um, when you race for Great Britain and in the UCA Marathon World Championships, and you were saying you got injured in that. Can you t- take us through that accident? What happened and how did it make you feel? Yeah, so it was it was actually about like I said about a week and a half before I actually went out. We we drove down to France for the race. Um, I was just just out training on the road bike, and um, as I, I suppose I was going maybe twenty twenty five miles an hour, something around uh, around there, and uh, just had you know I was just out of the saddle and the chain slipped, and I just ended up getting catapulted over the front of the bike, and Ugh. you know just sort of ragdolling down the road really uh, i think i kind of flipped i must have flipped over and kind of landed on my back um uh, you know the sort of coccyx sort of area so mm. um and and obviously you get you have a bit of sort of a fair amount of skin loss and that kind of thing so it it was um it was just that really it was just a a bit of a freak sort of training accident um and and then i just as i said i was maybe 95 percent sort of recovered by the time i by the time I got to the race, but there's just part of my back that wasn't allowing, you know, my glutes and stuff like that to activate properly. So I was riding quite one-sided, which after a few hours of racing just ended up having one side of the back sort of seize up and things weren't really, really happening to, things weren't really going too well at that point. So it just made sense to, to just pull out at that stage. I was kind of starting to lose positions and, yeah, I wasn't riding anywhere near what I know I was sort of capable of. So uh, unfortunately, that was a that was a I did not finish. But um, the race overall, you know, actually getting to the race and racing in the in the national kit and that kind of thing was still still a good experience. Yeah, and and were you mentally? How did that make you feel? Because I'm sure doing something like that for your country affects you differently you know emotionally than just doing another xc race and having to pull out of that were you disappointed or how how did you feel about that yeah i'm trying to think back to it actually um i, I think i was i think i was fairly disappointed I, I don't typically you know i wouldn't i would never pull out of a race just because i you know i wasn't feeling too great i'd always 
always try and finish um so I, I don't tend to pull out of races very often so it wasn't something i was used to um i suppose i knew coming into the race that i wasn't 100 percent, and it would be a bit of a stretch anyway so i probably accepted the fact that it it might not have gone i, I was kind of ready for it not to go mm. um totally to plan um before the race um i don't remember being i don't remember being too disappointed um obviously it's when you see the other people that are in the race that you were racing with eventually finish and where they ended up and stuff, um, there's probably a, an air of disappointment there. But um, overall, it was you know it's a fun trip. I, I usually I'm usually on the road with my dad or my girlfriend, and it, it's always a it's always a nice time regardless of the race result. So um, uh, yeah, I don't remember being super disappointed, but obviously there's a bit of unfinished business there, sort of thing. <laughs> pick up with yeah, brilliant. So you're going to attempt it this year, are you? Yeah, all being well, like I said, it's um, it's it's I, I'm I'm entered for the race. It's um, I'm just mm-hmm. sort of look, working out all the logistics and stuff now. But I'm, I'm I think it, it's in Italy this year, so I think uh, I think I will be at that event. Yeah, cool, brilliant. Okay, all right. Now let's get into your coaching courses then. Um, because you offer, uh, you know, a number of different coaching courses. Can you take us through them a wee bit? Of course, yeah. So I um, sort of offer, I suppose the main kind of services that I offer currently are kind of one-to-one consultations. So I'll I'll jump on a Skype call, uh, similar to what we, we're doing here um, for this podcast. And mm-hmm. um, so I'll send a... Um, uh, questionnaire to to a to a, a rider that wants my help and we'll we'll sort of identify the kind of main areas for for improve that they want to improve on and uh, we'll talk through uh, I'll essentially um, offer my advice for an hour two hours and create after that a uh, an action plan roadmap document and and another a number of other resources for them so it's essentially a consulting call to try and help iron out any problems that or uh, advice they might want um, for their own kind of training plan. So that's that's the kind of first one. And then the other the other ones are kind of more more along the typical coaching uh, coaching practices. So one to one coaching where it's just you know I plan the training week by week and provide analysis and and that kind of thing. And then I also do kind of one off kind of customized plans. So a training plan that's that's created uh, based on someone's particular schedule goals um their their current fitness um and all that all that sort of stuff yeah cool and they're all tailored towards mountain biking Uh, actually i I have about a 50 50 split between mountain bikers and road cyclists so right cool um yeah i I help sort of both of those disciplines as well i've done i haven't really done too much road racing myself but uh, i've done kind of road hill climbs and I probably spend 80% of the, my training time out on the road bike as well. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say it's about, about half half and half mountain bike and road. When somebody contacts you, um, how do you access what training program will work best for that individual? Yeah, I, I, I like to ask quite a lot of questions and try and get as much of an idea about how I can help as possible. Um, what's also good is because I have the YouTube channel and the um, – the advice on, on my website and a, a few other kind of areas um typically people will uh watch some of that content or read some of those posts and and kind of let me know what uh how how some of the information that i've put out there has helped them and where they need 
some some more help so oftentimes it's um it's relatively clear straight on you know straight from the off uh, where they mm-hmm. where they could use my guidance um but then also i'll just try and try and get uh, as much information as i can and see which kind of service would best fit them and and how i can sort of uh, help them to the to the most you know to the greatest degree what kind of level of fitness does somebody need to be to start one of your courses tom can are they mostly aimed at somebody wanting to race or just somebody wanting to simply get fitter and enjoy the weekend more no i mean as i say i i, I tend to i tend to work with I would say intermediate to advanced athletes, whether that's racing or just just riding. But those that have had a, f- a fair amount of experience in the sport, um, but th- there's no there's no inherent kind of um, you know minimum minimum ability level or anything like that. It's as I say, especially with the kind of customized programs and stuff, they're they're very tailored towards um, towards that individual. So that takes into account things like you know current fitness and. Uh, history in the sport and what their goals are whether that's just a, a performance improvement or, or a race result or um or, or anything else so it, it's really it's really a tailored approach um to, mm-hmm. to what that person wants which um uh, which doesn't have too much of a bearing on um, on their ability typically I'll, I'll ask them to be training with ideally a power meter just because it's it can be so accurate and i can i can uh, analyze the workouts a lot easier with that but but also with heart rate and that kind of thing um so there i guess they're some of the prerequisites but um but yeah i work with um people that are, that are newer in the sport as well as more advanced athletes as well yeah so quite quite in depth really um what does your programs help for the rider how do they improve the rider yeah, so I think one of the main things is the uh, accountability aspect of it. So knowing so that that cyclist or, or rider, knowing that um, I'm kind of there to um, to see the training come in, and um, I, I probably pick up with them if if that training, you know, if they don't do that training and that kind of thing. So I think the accountability aspect of it is quite big. Um, I think obviously from a motivational perspective as well. Um, what I what I very much try and do is educate the athlete as much as possible so explain the reasons exactly why a particular workouts in the schedule or why we're doing certain things at different times of the year because um you can have someone just blindly sort of follow what you're saying but i think uh i think you you're much more motivated if you understand the kind of reasons why and just being able to be educated as you go i think that's a higher value proposition than just simply following a schedule and not really knowing knowing why so hopefully after doing a program there's there's the improved fitness which is obviously the kind of main goal but there's also the side benefit of having learned about training and physiology and how to do better at whatever sport they're doing so um that that's kind of the idea behind it yeah and it's interesting you know because and i'm sure you've heard this as well but on other podcasts and stuff um guests sometimes get asked if they had say 100 pounds to improve their kit to help them ride better what would they actually be best purchasing and the majority of the answers are some kind of coaching or training or something like that rather than new tires or new this or new that so far as yourself and your training goes why do you think is it so important or so useful for somebody to get some coaching off somebody like yourself 
Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's a lot uh, with, with anything, you know, you, you search for search for answers on the internet and you'll typically find 10 different perspectives and it's really hard to to sift through the information that's out there and, and know what, what you're doing. Um, so I think having someone who's already gone through all that information and actually say, okay, this is this is what kind of works best from from both an experience point of view as well as uh, from the, what the science shows and all this kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of value in saving a lot of time, um, having someone who knows what they're doing um, sort of uh, sort that information out. And, uh, and, and related to that, um, I think you can eventually get to, to, to putting together your own optimized training plan, but if that means going through a lot of trial and error and trying things out and failing and maybe not having a season go as well as you wanted and having to wait for the next seasons, that kind of thing, I think coaching from someone who has been there and done it and kind of knows how to communicate that back to you can just save a lot of time and and, and hassle and uh, negate all of that kind of self-experimentation. Yeah, certainly. And I suppose... Well, I suppose for a weekend warrior, somebody like myself, it's maybe not that important. But when would a rider know to ask for help from a training coach as such? You know, is it when they hit a fitness plateau or simply getting frustrated with a ride? And when do you find people asking for help? Yeah, I mean, definitely um, when when people have events coming up and, you know, they, they want to um, be at their best for, for that kind of event is, is a big driving force. Um, but But... Having said that, there are some people who just, I, I'm not really sure. Sometimes it's just they decide they're at a point in their life where they, they're, they're making mountain biking or cycling a, a bigger focus and they just want to to do as well as they can at it, whether that's just perform better on a on a, on a weekend group ride or, or do, do better in a race. It's, um, I suppose people just decide for, for whatever reason that um, they want to, see how far they can take it with a with some structure in place and some some uh, new knowledge and n- new workouts and all that sort of thing um i just just see because obviously you know with mountain biking and cycling you typically everyone puts a lot of money into it you know you spend a lot on a bike you spend a lot on equipment you spend money going to traveling all uh, all over the place to r- ride different trails and, and roads and places and um i suppose if if you're doing all of that, it makes sense to um, a lot of the time to to try and you know do do the sport as well as you can, whether that's from a, a technique perspective or a or a fitness perspective. Yeah, and it's something I've always said to my mates. You know, the fitter you are, the the more you actually enjoy mountain biking. I think that's right. Yeah, I think uh, it's never it's never much fun if you're the if you feel like the slowest of the group <laughs> or you know after after half an hour you're you. you, you you know you're really struggling it's uh absolutely it's a lot of the fun in in mountain biking especially is the um is the achievement of getting over you know i say big climbs and especially descents and uh nailing a technical feature and just having a good day out and if you can't have that you know day out mm-hmm. because you're you're really struggling after 30 minutes an hour then you're right it's uh it's not going to be as fun as if fitness and your kind of endurance capacity isn't really an issue yeah no it's so true it's so true and i think it's something that gets overlooked a wee bit to be honest probably so um yeah i, I mean 
I, I, maybe some people are just um, uh, maybe a bit sort of hesitant to ask someone for help. I know I, I've been that way a, a few times with kind of um, producing things, you know, related to my business. You know, there, there are certain things that maybe I could outsource, you know, maybe some sort of graphic design and stuff like that. And I always have a tendency to try and do it myself. And I'm a bit sort of reluctant to to take to help get someone else to um, to help me out. For, for whatever reason and maybe that's um maybe that's the case with with a coaching relationship as well yeah and i think people like yourself you know like entrepreneurs and stuff a lot of the time they have issues letting stuff go and letting somebody else you know help out like that um but i suppose the flip side of that is if somebody's really good at what they do they can have it done and you know an eighth of the time yeah. and you know whereas you or me would have to maybe learn to do something and then it wouldn't look half as good as what they could do and exactly. you know half the time exactly yeah that's it yeah so instead of struggling climbing or struggling doing certain fitness routines in the gym if you go to somebody that knows specifically what you're looking for and what's best tailored to what you want then you're going to save time and energy and I'm going to enjoy yourself quicker when you go out in the trails. So. Exactly. Yeah, that that's what I was. That's exactly what I was trying to trying to say. Yeah, it's um, it's you can either go the kind of long route, which is which is you know it's it's fun to to learn about all this stuff yourself, and there there are going to be a lot of people who do want to go through that that trial and error and that discovery process. But equally, on the other side, if uh, if if you want to perform well at a certain event or you want to kind of get to where you want to be as fast as possible, it. it it often makes sense to have someone uh, help you that's that's qualified to do so yeah cool cool and what would be the average kind of duration of your coaching plans there tom yeah so the the one-to-one coaching stuff is is like ongoing essentially until um you know it just kind of goes on and on month month to month um Mm -hmm. the the kind of customized training plans typically go i'd say the 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 most popular sort of 12 12 to 12 to 20 week plans 20 probably being on the longer side so usually maybe 12 to 16 weeks so a three to four month kind of period um that's typically when you know if people have done a fair amount of riding leading up to that and then they can apply a more structured plan in the kind of three months leading up to an event or a certain date and and that kind of thing that tends to work quite well and does your coaching plans include gym work as well? Uh, yeah, I, I've been. I mean, I've been trying to include more of that stuff um, because it, it just be, it's just more and it's just clearer now that uh, that the gym work and things like heavy load strength training and core strength work are, are really really important, especially for mountain biking, where your your body's having to make so many dynamic movements and. Um, as I was coming back to, as I was saying with, with cross country, you know, your heart rate doesn't really come down a lot during the whole race. And that's because you're going down descents, you know, where you typically think of the periods where you're, you're resting, you're actually, you know, suspending your body weight, you know, you're out the saddle, your legs are, uh, your legs and arms are tensed, holding up the body and, uh, and you're having to make very subtle movements and, and balance and that kind of thing. So it's, it's very important from both an injury prevention sort of standpoint uh, a balance and sort of technique and coordination standpoint as well as an endurance standpoint as well so the stronger your leg muscles are the the uh, essentially the better endurance you'll have yeah and it's you know it's interesting because 
I had a gentleman called James Wilson. He's known as Bike James yeah, on the I've podcast. Seen his, uh, I've seen his website, yeah. Yeah, and um, he's from Colorado, and I done. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm doing one of his training programs. And I've been in the gym a lot. You know, my life I've always kept fit, but the stuff that he's got me doing, which is mountain bike Pacific, yeah, is so different from what I would have been doing beforehand but it definitely makes a difference on the trail you know and when i went to the gym i'd have been probably like your average person i'd have went and done bench press or shoulder press or squats or and you know all that's good stuff but his stuff's so pacific for mountain biking that it really does make a difference do you find that with your gym stuff as well that it has to be kind of quite pacific uh yeah i mean i i need to do more sort of i've found it i've typically found it quite difficult to incorporate as much kind of gym work as i as i want to do just because the time on the bike so sort of heavy it's it's finding um finding space in the program to put that in even though i know it's um it's really beneficial um so yeah i mean i i tend to my sort of strength training typically tends the more sort of heavy load strength training tends to be the kind of foundational exercises so your squats deadlifts um and that and that kind of thing and then uh, i try and be quite specific with my core strength work so uh, i try to make that uh, focus on the areas and movements that that are more specific to mountain biking so using things like ab rollers and uh med- you know medicine balls and stuff like that to um to try and make that as specific as i can yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not easy, but it's so different from what you know what you would think to do in the gym. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to, to 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 look at that, look at those courses. Actually, I have come across James before. You know, I've seen the website and stuff, um, and I know that I think he trained um, Aaron Gwynn for a while. So that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, he's a good lad. He's very, very approachable. You should, I can, well, we can talk about it afterwards, but we could get you in contact with him for sure. All right, that'd be good. Yeah. Cool. So can you tell us what somebody could expect to kind of pay for one of your courses or is it dependent on what they're looking for really? Yeah, it kind of, it kind of varies um, and sort of prices sort of change, I suppose, over time and stuff. I mean, what I'm trying to do, do more of it, the reason, um, I mean, I mean, with, with the coaching and the, the one-on-one work, obviously that is, isn't scalable to a point, you know, I've only got, especially with kind of my racing and travel and uh, all the other stuff, you know, the marketing of the actual business, it's, um, it be, the, your sort of time, uh, fills up quite quickly, you know, when you're taking on kind of one-to-one stuff. So I'm actually trying to, um, create more kind of standalone products, kind of what like James has done really. So, you know, he, he's, I'm sure he, he probably works with a few people one-on-one, but he's got these programs that are built that, you know, whether he sells 10 of those or a thousand of those, it's not really any more time, you know, you know, yeah. time input from him. It's kind of the time and the work is done up front. And then he kind of benefits from that, you know, afterwards in a, in a more passive way. So um, that's kind of the direction that I, I'm trying to go. So I really think the mountain bike cross country sort of sport is quite underserved with, you know, training advice and, and, um, and good solid kind of, uh, guidance in that in that sort of area so i'm trying to put together some some resources and products to help cross-country racers to 
to you know maximize fitness and performance um but in a way that i can i can try and get that out to as many people as possible rather than my time be limited you know with how people i can actually sort of work with so that's kind of the direction the kind of business is probably going to go in the next uh, in the next year or so but I'm certainly working with I'm certainly working with a lot of people one on one and whether that's consultations or or one to one coaching um and then the the customized plans are a, a sort of halfway between that so they're, they're obviously tailored to people and there's some there's some work up front but obviously they the the plans are put together and then the the athlete goes away and trains with that so yeah it's just trying to scale my time as much as possible really yeah it's not easy but you, you seem to really enjoy it and, and seem to have a real passion for it so what do you get out of the coaching thing why do you enjoy it so much i think you know any job you can do where you where you help people in, in a certain way um i'm sure you know there's there's um high job satisfaction in any kind of job whether that's you know charity work or or in the in the medical field and just anywhere that you can help people so i suppose this is a way that i can help improve people's lives i suppose in a certain way Mm. through what i've kind of learned and experienced so that's the main that's the main kind of uh you know passion point is that is that i can help people and and whenever i receive emails saying thanks very much i had a really good race or I'm really happy with how my my fitness is at the moment. Then that's ultimately the the main the, the main sort of driver. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because the coaching side of thing now in all sports um, seems to be so popular almost. You know, I know I know people have always had coaches, but the coaches almost seem to be more in the the limelight as as much as the athlete now. You yeah. know. <laughs> um, it's very interesting the way that's going and you know it's funny talking about Aaron Gwen and stuff and you think of somebody like him or Sam Hill um but them guys also have coaches they do this is this is quite an interesting point actually is that um like we talked about the fact that people can do it on their own and learn learn as much as they can but yeah exactly the the top guys in the world so on the cross-country side you know Nino Schurter and and Yaroslav Kulhavi and on the downhill side with Gwyn and, um, you know, Greg Minar and all these guys, they've all got coaches as well. It's not, you know, they're, they're the athlete, but they don't pretend to know everything, um, know everything about the sport. And having that, again, that accountability. If you, if, if you watch some of the um, documentaries about Usain Bolt and some of the other Olympic athletes, you, you know, you'll see that, that in a lot of ways they're just like everyone else and they sometimes struggle to get out of bed and do training and stuff and they they need someone there to kind of be uh, hold them to account and say like right we need to do this today this is this is the program um so it 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 applies right to the very top of the sport and i think you're right if if there's the best in the world need a coach then maybe that suggests that there's quite a lot of people below that level that could also benefit as well yeah certainly and you know it's funny to think that you would think to yourself oh well i don't really need a coach and then you look at Arn gwen and them guys well they have coaches so why wouldn't i need one you know yeah. What I mean? yeah exactly um exactly i think anyone whether that's on a, a big or a small level can benefit from having whether that's just just you know free advice or whether it's working one-on-one with someone i think everyone can there's always something to learn so um if you can enlist the help of someone that that's already done that and knows kind of where to 
how to point you in the right direction. It's only going to be a, a benefit, really. Mm, yeah, certainly, certainly. Well, let's talk a wee bit about the future uh, for a few minutes. Um, is the coaching thing something that you've kind of put in place to continue after your racing career is over? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as I said, I really enjoy just helping as many as many cyclists as I can and and mm. shifting the business in that way of more sort of product-based solutions or, and courses rather than kind of one-on-one work, I think is going to be a way for me to to scale um, to scale my kind of uh, me working with more and more people and helping more and more people. So I think the that's the direction my sort of business, I suppose, will go in 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 the future. And I do want to continue that um, after after sort of I've stopped focusing so much on on the athletic side. Obviously, you can only do it for a certain amount of years. Um, but but what is nice is that that what I'm doing I can kind of do from anywhere you know as long as I've got a laptop and an internet connection generally speaking I can run the business um, and a lot of the stuff that I've learned in terms of you know creating a YouTube channel that gives a lot of value up front and that's how people get to know you and then they start to think that oh, maybe um, there's a lot more ways that this person can help me on a one-to-one basis or with their products, then mm-hmm. I quite like to apply that to some different sort of, um, you know, different markets and different niches. Um, so I have obviously in a few other things in my life that I'm kind of um, passionate about, one of them being that I'm a vegan. I think you are as well. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. So so that's something that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to, maybe pursue helping people to to turn more towards you know a plant-based lifestyle and the the health and environmental benefits of that kind of thing so there's, there's a few other things that i've kind of got um on, on a shelf for something to do a bit later on but um but yeah i just enjoy kind of i really enjoy the sort of learning about marketing and and um kind of running and growing a business and stuff so i'm kind of doing that with the coaching business now and then i might well apply that in some other areas yeah it's interesting you know like i'm sure you've heard of tim ferris and the likes yeah. of them guys well them guys the way they look at business is they give away you know and you're kind of doing the same with your youtube channel and your training tips and stuff i suppose they give away like something silly like 85 or 90 percent of their content yeah and then they charge for the other 10 or 15 for people that are really keen and, and really want more. And exactly. Stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it works, you know, obviously if it's working from them guys, why can't it work for somebody like yourself? Yeah, exactly. That's um, yeah. I'm a very, I, I closely follow sort of all of those, all those people and those, that kind of, I suppose, business model um, because now with the internet and, you know, not having to have, millions of pounds at your disposal to to get your name out there and that kind of thing um sorry my cat's meowing quite well <laughs> <You're there, right? laughs> i think she wants to go outside um so, so yeah uh i yeah i'm a big follower of those those guys and that and that business model is really appealing to me i really uh, i think i have quite a um a disposition to be very try and be very generous with the amount of advice and stuff that I put out there. And I think it, it really works well to, um, to share as much as you can up front. And then, you know, if people do want to, to work one-on-one and to tailor that advice to them, then obviously that's, that can, that can be where the business kind of comes in. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And especially with the internet and, and not, like I said, not having to have 
huge ad budgets to to put tv ads out there and stuff to you can you can really start to grow a personal brand and um and you know on a on a fairly just just sweat equity or a small sort of advertising budget yeah no and your website and all is very very good so I hope you all the all the best with that in the future and stuff. But just this is a per, more personal thing for me. Really, yeah. how long have you been a vegan for, Tom? I think I've been I think I've been vegan probably coming up to four years. Um, and then I was kind of uh, I was vegetarian for a long time, sort of throughout university mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, this is the big thing when people find out I'm a vegan. The first, and I'm sure you have experienced this too. The first thing they say is, "Well, where do you get your protein? Where do you get your energy?" Yeah. Yeah, but guys, guys like you are showing people that you can compete at a very, very, very high level and still be a vegan. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, it's all it's always typically a loaded question in that um, in that it seems to be a deficient diet, and like the question is always like, oh, so so how do you perform? You know, when you've got this deficient diet that you're using, or how do you overcome this diet? You know. And, stuff like that and it's uh i think it's very much the opposite it's um it's a performance enhancing diet i think um i've certainly found that myself and um yeah you're right the 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 protein question is the most common um and i I suppose i just try and be very very diplomatic about it and just say that essentially there's there's some protein in in most foods so if you, you know if you wrote out a list of common foods there's typically going to be protein in all of those um and as long as you eat a balanced diet and eat enough calories typically all that all those macronutrients kind of sort themselves out and i think proteins just become a very big kind of buzzword and it's it's very much kind of overhyped and it's just one part of having a healthy diet it's not um it tends to be that people seem to exclusively focus on that um yeah. when i'd, I'd yeah, I don't think it's it's anything like as big an issue as people make it out to be. Yeah, it's crazy. And I had um, I had Sonia Looney, who's a professional endurance athlete, mountain biker, on the show, and she's plant based vegan as yeah. well. Um, and you know, it's amazing listening to her and listening to people like Rich Roll and all, and how going vegan actually gave them more energy you know and actually helped just everything in their daily lives they slept better they get rid of certain rashes it's just so interesting it is yeah that's exactly it it's you know it helps you in in all kinds of areas um and especially as an athlete as well especially like you said um gareth where you know sleep and that kind of thing is really important um as an athlete and just as a general person so and and i think just feeling good about the fact that what you're doing is is um is better much better for the environment it's much better for the animals and it's much better for yourself i mean there's there's kind of three three parts to it there and even if even if a diet wasn't particularly great for your health but it was really really good for the environment that might be a good enough excuse to do it so you've kind of got all three of these benefits that um that that doesn't really seem to from my perspective to be much of a downside Certainly. Well, you could here we could have another podcast on that easy. Yeah. That's not a problem. <laughs> but how can people best keep up to date with what you're doing and stuff, Tom? Yeah. So I think uh, how we mentioned before with the YouTube channel, that's quite a, quite a good one. I'll be um, I'm trying to get more and more regular with that. Um, 
so hopefully I'll get get on top of that and get back to some uh, some regular videos. But there's there's plenty on there already. Um, I'm on Strava as well. I've got um, a fairly engaged sort of Strava following, so I'm just just Tom Bell on there. You're probably quite quite easy to find. Um, and then on YouTube as well, just searching uh, my name will probably uh, pull up my channel. Um, and then my website is um, TomBell.co. I couldn't get .com. <laughs> uh, it's just the .co or .co. Um, is my website and there's links to everything else that I kind of have you know Instagram and stuff like that from from there yeah and that's cool and I'll obviously put all that on the show notes as well so people can get easy access to it yeah thank you that'd be great yeah so that'd be brilliant so Tom listen thanks so much for coming on I, I really enjoyed our chat and um it's it's cool to get you on because I've listened to you so much in the past so it's really <laughs> nice to chat to you yeah no I really appreciate it as well Thank thanks a lot no problem. And here, good luck at the Manx 100 and stuff. And um, I'm I'm sure Nigel will be chatting to you before then. I would say. Yeah, I think we'll I think we'll be having. A, he messaged me on Facebook actually. Uh, I think a week week or so ago. So I'll be catching up with him at the race. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, Tom. Well, here all the best for this upcoming season, and uh, I hope everything goes well. And you don't go over the bars and your road bike anymore. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be ideal if that if that doesn't happen. Yeah. But uh, no, thank, thanks so much. It's been really, really fun chatting to you. All right, all the best. Tom. Thank you. Cheers. That does it for episode number 44, folks. I hope you really enjoyed our time with Tom. And Tom, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really, really did enjoy our chat. And um, we'll have to get our heads together and talk a wee bit more veganism in the near future. So um, it's awesome to have you on, sir. I really do appreciate you coming on the show. And um, I hope the season goes well for you and everything else that you're doing there via your business and via your races and your racing career and stuff. So good luck with that in the near future, mate. Good, good luck with that. Now, so folks, thanks for being here today. I really do appreciate you tuning in and listening to the show. If you do want to get more involved, just head on over to the website. You can do that a couple of ways. You can just send me an email via the contact list or you can subscribe and get a wee bit more info on the show and I do read every email so if you send me an email I will read it and I will get back to you maybe just give me a couple of days to do that but I will get back to you um, as soon as I can so thanks very much again thanks for the guys on socials that are following I really do appreciate it you can find us on Instagram at MTB Tribe and Facebook at MTB Tribe and guys thanks again for being here I really do appreciate it we've got another interesting and exciting episode next week it's part of mountain biking i've never had on the podcast before so i'm quite excited to get this company on um it's a good insight into what's happening in that kind of environment so i hope you enjoy that so please tune in you'll find us on thursday as always every week and i hope to see or listen or hear or find you there i don't i don't really know what i'm talking about there but anyway <laughs> have a good week folks enjoy the trails i hope you get out in the bikes take care all the best bye